Hello, I'm Eric Holderman, and this is Disaster Zone, a podcast about emergencies and disasters. Disaster Zone will bring you interviews and commentaries about all aspects of disasters, from what causes them to how people and organizations are dealing with their impact. T-Mobile for Government provides innovative connectivity solutions that help public safety agency better serve citizens. T-Mobile is America's 5G leader in coverage, in speed, and in reliability. This was verified by an independent third-party company, Umlaut. This crowdsource user data comes from September 2020 to February 2021. Plus, we offer tools that help government take advantage of 5G, amazing customer service, and outstanding value with no trade-offs. To learn more, visit t-mobile.com government. Welcome to the Disaster Zone podcast. With me today is Tammy Allen, the harbor master for the Bainbridge uh, City Police Department. In this podcast, we're going to explore how one community established a group of volunteer boat owners who can provide valuable assistance to their community. Any maritime city or county could potentially duplicate their efforts. And welcome to the show, Tammy. Thank you so much, Eric. Glad to be here. Yeah, I think this is gonna be fun. I mean, uh, people, emergency managers and others are used to working with volunteers, but I think the whole boating community volunteer aspect, even here in Western Washington, we found because we're working a project on that, I'm part of a, a project looking at maritime resources, is not common. So I think uh, learning all about what you guys have done at Bainbridge Island, what you've done personally will be great for everybody to hear. So while we just okay. get in into it, and I'm first of all going to start out with what is a harbor master and what is it that you do? I've never well, talked, talked to a harbor. Good question. Uh, and for the, for the city of Bainbridge Island, for the Bainbridge Island Police Department, uh, it's unique that we're, a, we're such a large geographic area. So we have 53 miles of shoreline. For, for my position, it's pretty much dealing with harbor management, things that are floating that should not be, such as oil or litter or boats adrift. Um, things are not floating that should be boats, boat sinking. So it's code enforcement officer for the waters of the city. Okay. Well, explain what your personal background is and how, how did you get involved with organizing boat arms to become active in disasters? Well, I, so I've been a boat owner uh, over 30 years and I've been at the city of Bainbridge Island for over 20 years. So this has been developing the lifetime that I've been a boater. Uh, the original idea of volunteer boaters, that's nothing new since boaters are always going to help each other. It's kind of the law of the sea. Um, and I've lived aboard for, for a part 20 years of that time. So it was a good marriage to, to dovetail the private boater with emergency management and my role with the city. Okay. And now when you say live aboard, so at, in Bainbridge Island, do you Live aboard your yep. boat now? 
that was uh, partially in California, Moss Landing, and and in the Northwest as well, right? Okay, all right. Yeah, sometimes you see these marina fires, which you are probably more familiar with, but a lot of times those boats that are there are inhabited, right? So it, it's people at risk, not just the property. Also, correct. Yeah, right. Okay, so uh, tell us a little bit about your physical setting for Bainbridge Island, the geography, the jurisdiction you work with and other elements. Yeah, so we are, we're Bainbridge Island, for those of you out of the area listening, we're eight miles west of Seattle. So if you've been on the iconic Washington State Ferry going west from downtown, you've probably come into historic Winslow. That landing is in the middle of an island that's um, 11 miles long, five miles wide, a lot of shoreline. We're physically an island connected by a bridge and a ferry service. But if you imagine in an emergency, we are truly an island physically disconnected from services. But I would argue that most small communities after a large emergency, if their access is maybe one road, um, I think of Winchester Bay in Oregon, Port Angeles even could become an island. So we're, we're always thinking, our residents are always thinking in terms of preparedness and self-sufficiency as an island. Uh, and we're just taking that one step further. Okay, all right. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a significant military presence also on Bates Bridge Island. What, what is that? There's a significant military presence on in Kitsap County. Okay. Um, All right. The way. So, yeah. Uh, but we're definitely active with Kitsap County. The, you know, I, I'm thinking about our, our, our island is still part of Kitsap County, but physically disconnected, but we share that water. So we're doing quite a bit with them. Um, back to the earthquake scenario, there'd be a lot of people from Kitsap County either on Bainbridge trying to get back to Kitsap or they've gone across to the west side and they're trying and they've been using Bainbridge as their route home. Okay. So we are definitely part of the Kitsap response and the military and the ferries. Um, as far as the jurisdiction, we have a beautiful partnership happening on Bainbridge and it's the fire department, the city and the nonprofit called Bainbridge Prepares. So they have their own website. If you go there, Bainbridge Prepares. That group keeps getting bigger and bigger, and they're dealing with everything to increase our resiliency from Medical Reserve Corps, food, water, power, and transportation being one of those. And that's the part I yeah. help. And, you know, it is sometimes it's hard to motivate people to get ready for a disaster, but uh, in many respects, islanders of all types uh, kind of recognize that. Maybe there's been smaller disasters um, in that, but they do sense their vulnerability in being an island. I don't know. Well, yeah, like right now, as we're doing this podcast, there's a team of volunteers that have vehicles that can drive on ice and snow, helping other residents get their groceries. So we we're practicing the small town grassroots resiliency on a neighbor-to-neighbor -neighbor basis. Okay. Yeah. Well, you just mentioned one of the hazards you have 
you know, it's not often, but um, we did get start getting snow on uh, Christmas Eve. So we had a white Christmas and actually more snow than a lot of people liked for around here that it didn't magically melt the day after Christmas. So um, we, I, I got a couple inches last night, although temperatures show it's gonna really start melting. So that's, that's good. But tell us a little about right. your, the hazards that you're concerned with for where you are. So winter weather would be one you just mentioned, but what yeah, else? Winter weather, well, uh, <laughs> winter weather, definitely. Um, but if you look at any of the geographic modeling for earthquake, we have the Seattle Fault running right through our island. Uh, we have this, the Cascadia Rising, which would be a whole, our whole area, Pacific Northwest, Puget Sound. So we, we know if there is a seismic activity, we're looking at inundation as well as disruption on land. And when the land is disrupted, and we've seen that with mudslides, landslides, liquefaction, that the waterways may become our waterways. Understanding that, that's also where all the debris may be. Having local boaters with their their vessels that are already designed for the Pacific Northwest. And then we add that other layer of um, the go, no go based on the safety of the route. Um, we, we have to just work that as we go. We've added another um, item to our list and that it's wildfire, which we five years ago weren't so concerned about, but we may have to evacuate a section of the island for water, wildfire, and again, that would be boats. And it, we're not inventing these ideas. If you look at Australia, those were dinghies that helped people get away from shore. If you look uh, just a few weeks ago, the flooding that happened in British Columbia, those were jet skis that helped herd cattle to higher ground. Um, we've seen it in the Bahamas after a flood. We've seen it at Katrina. We saw larger vessels used at Staten Island. So we, we picked the boats to fit a safe response to a particular event, what it is to do. All right, all right. right. And, you know, this, the audience for the podcast is mostly in the United States, but there are some uh, other parts of the world, listeners that listen in across all the continents there. So I, I'll just remark on that Seattle fault that you brought up. That's a thrust fault. So most people think of San Andreas Fault in California. It's called a strike slip and it's kind of going north-south, if you will, uh, in California. A thrust fault goes up and down. And so the last time, it was like 12, 1400 years ago, it moved, but it moved 20 feet in one motion up and down. And um, that's a significant movement. And you can imagine the infrastructure that would be damaged, whether it's pipelines, bridges, all those things we uh, depend on. So you, you're at ground zero for that type of uh, earthquake, certainly. And then there's Cascadia subduction earthquake you mentioned. So another uh, significant event. But um, how, you know, how's emergency management organized in at Bainbridge Island, the city of Bainbridge? Well, I'm sold on the whole incident command system. I really am. Uh, I got to use a little bit of it during the Loma Prieta earthquake. We've been using it in oil spill management. 
we use the same system, the same language, the same education platform for our volunteers, whether they're going to uh, give a neighbor a ride in the snow like today, or if they're gonna do COVID testing and vaccinations, or if they're going to uh, deliver a passenger on a vessel. So we're all using incident command system. And I think that's been the breakthrough for small communities trying to start something like this to be part of their incident command structure. Okay. It could be their city, their fire department. That was the breakthrough. Once we're in that system, then we have access to the communication, the ham operators, the emergency operations, um, all of it. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, emergency management, um, you're in the police department and you had the Bainbridge flotilla, I think is what you call it, but is emergency management in the police department, is it in the fire department or is the city element? How, how's that organized? Yeah, it's that partnership again. So we have our emergency management director, Anne LeSage, is in the city, in City Hall. She is a okay. full-time city employee, but the real magic happened when the, the working, a successful working relationship with a community, large community, hundreds and hundreds of volunteers have been credentialed through Anne, through the city, and are organizing with a nonprofit in the community. So it's back to the citizens and the people on the street working as volunteers. It's a heavy lift, especially with the, you know, we started by, they were making masks and then they were doing COVID testing. That's a perfect uh, example of using community volunteers in a big setting. And then fire is also part of that EOC. So yeah, it is, it is definitely a city. Um, it's part of the city, but it's much bigger than staff at city hall. I think it's great that you think of it that way in that, I don't know whether this is a question later on I had, but um, certainly people talk about first responders and typically they think fire police, uh, emergency medical services, and by the way, we're, we're acronym free. So <laughs> I didn't say yeah. EMS, um, yeah. but uh, the first responders really are the citizens who are there at the spot when something happens. So it's great that you're treating them as, an integrated, integrated part of your larger uniformed, if you will, first responder category. So that, that has definitely been the tagline since the beginning, as long as I've been on the island, uh, is that it starts at home and that you are your own first responder. Yeah. So the way we've physically set that up, because everybody knows where city hall is and everybody knows where the police department and everybody knows where the fire department. And the, the object is that nobody's waiting in front of the fire department or calling 911 because they've already thought through all of the things that they know how to do first. So we've got map your neighborhood. It's a program where you actually train with the five houses on your street. You know how to shut up each other's water and power and to do first aid and you have a ham operator on your street, they connect with a hub, which is maybe a hundred neighborhoods uh, it, within walking distance. And they all 
have connected to one central location. It could be a truck with a ham operator and a first aid responder. And they've taken care of all of the little calls and the communication back to the main emergency operations. And that okay. is, the, you know, we don't, we, we only, we might have two officers on duty at the time of an earthquake and half a dozen firefighters. So we know that it has to come down to the street level, house by house. Okay, that's terrific. So one, one of the good things about Washington State, I, sometimes I will uh, rank on our state <laughs> for our, our approach to seismic safety and unreinforced masonry buildings and many things. But we have a, an ideal, I think, volunteer legislation, actual state law about uh, that covers volunteers and their, uh, their liability, a property damage, uh, to their personal vehicles, I assume boats also, when they're used in um, appropriate volunteer mission authorized by, uh, you know, legal authorities. Can you talk a little bit more about that? What you tell boat owners about how Washington um, law protects them and supports them? Right. I, I uh, talk again about that credential. So it, it, it requires the volunteer to become a formal volunteer with their own emergency management department, whether it's a county or a city. They, they need to make that marriage and it's worth it because we, we tried to start the flotilla for several years without having that piece. We tried to do memorandums of agreement and they would take that to their insurance agency and it was just confusing. If a person wants to start a flotilla, it could be a yacht club, it could be a neighborhood association, they should, they need that, that piece, that official volunteer credential, so that when there's a mission number that comes out from their own emergency management, now they're good to go. And yeah. it's do so safely, but that, that part is what you can do ahead of time and not wait for an emergency, you can do that now. Okay. And um, again, we're talking about Washington state. So, uh, you know, the situation is different in other states. I know Oregon's uh, laws governing volunteers are not as good as Washington state's. Uh, we are in much better shape um, for the types of things that we've talked about here. So it, you'd have to refer, if you're listening in Missouri or Florida, have to find out what your state laws are about volunteer management and all those things, so. Right, right, Most, you know, all of the examples I gave, um, none of them were officially part of their own emergency operations. Even the Cajun Navy, they, they are a standalone organization that they fund themselves independently. They're not expecting to have restitution with the emergency management program. No. So there's no harm in having something that's completely off but I like that we're insiders now that we're working within our yeah. emergency because communication is so much better. Well, I, a lot of times people will refer to the Cajun Navy as another example. Since you mentioned, why don't we talk about that very briefly? I don't expect you to be an expert, but what I recall is, um, of course, New Orleans got hit hard 
with Hurricane Katrina, and they had a lot of help from outside of Louisiana. And then when it came time, or I think it was Texas was the next state that got hit by another hurricane. They, there was a self-organization of Louisiana uh, boaters that went to help and they got the nickname and then it's been formalized Cajun Navy. But as you describe it, they're not part of a government organization. They're a, a separate, I don't know whether it's 501c3 or, or not, but uh, they're not working at the direction of a, or under the control of a emergency management organization per se. Exactly. Same, you know, same with 9-11. Boats moved 100,000 people that day. They weren't part of one city or any emergency operations, but boaters will always do that. They will. And it's just a matter of, um, I'm trying to do the boaters a little bit of a favor of having them under someone's protection, but it doesn't require that. Uh, but I'm offering them training. I'm getting them the flags and the identification and the ham communications so that their efforts may be more effective. Yeah. If people, uh, you've, you know, uh, Tammy's referred to it, the 9-11 boat lift. There's a YouTube video narrated by Tom Hanks. It's called uh, Boat Lift. And it's on YouTube. So if you just uh, look for 9-11 boat lift, I think maybe it's a 10, 12 minute video, but describes how that all happened and uh, where there's just a stream of privately owned craft government watercraft that came and took people off Manhattan to other destinations. So it's, if you've never seen it before, it's a great uh, video to watch. Just look for 9-11 boat lift on YouTube, so search for it. So I, Tammy, we're actually about halfway through. So I, we're gonna take a, break right now for a quick message from our sponsor and then we'll be right back. The Connecting Heroes program for government from T-Mobile is our 10-year $7.7 billion commitment to state and local first responder agencies. Rate plans for every budget from free unlimited service to plans with 5G smartphones free with new lines and priority access and preemption for first responders using WPS at no additional cost. All of this on America's largest and fastest 5G network, according to Open Signals April 2021 United States 5G User Experience Report. To learn more, visit t-mobile.com slash connectingheroes. And we are back here and we're talking with um, Tammy Allen uh, with the Bainbridge Police Department. Uh, she's uh, the harbor master there. And we're talking about uh, all the ways that private boat owners can assist um, before and during disasters and, and after, of course. So, you know, what, what, Tammy, what was the impetus for organizing boaters to be volunteers? And how did that come about? Well, so a, a couple of things happened. Rec recognizing that the boat itself was such an incredible resource. And that, that beckons back to the Loma Prieta earthquake when every, everyone on land was struggling. They were struggling with aftershocks, power, potable water, housing. And were you in California then? 
I was there on a boat in Moss Landing, which is really close to Watsonville, California. Okay. So the road was out on both sides of the marina. But for those of us on vessels, all of those issues were moot. So that kind of clues me into the beauty of the vessel itself, a self-contained, off-the-grid entity that has shelter, communication, usually has fuel, has power. Uh, and this is true with now we have van life and motorhomes, and there's lots of things like that. But, but the vessel is one of them. When I um, came to Bainbridge Island in 2000, then we added the component of how do we get our staff to work if our bridge and our ferry isn't available? So that's when we started the flotilla and it was focused completely on getting essential workers into the emergency operations center. Uh, it's not cheap to live on Bainbridge Island. So if you're a, yeah. a younger officer, firefighter, you might be living, most likely be living off island. Yeah, I actually, I, there's a, a publication called Puget Sound Business Journal. I just looked at it the other day and they had the prices for the four largest counties um, in the area. Bainbridge was number two for the cost of housing. Like 1.2 million was the norm, oh, I think. Exactly, time. so you, you feel our pain. So a lot of our younger officers need to be brought in. Now we have one, uh, very, very good sound police boat that can handle all weather, but we also expect that that boat is going to be dealing with multiple calls. If I'm just moving a, a healthy firefighter from the other side of Agate Pass Bridge, I could use a volunteer boater. So we started with that to get essential staff to work and back home for the next operational period. And that is the primary use of what the EOC is going to ask me to do. But because we have such an incredibly awesome group of islanders, and we you have need you need another adjective in there, <laughs> incredible, <laughs> yeah. awesome, stupendous. Yeah. <laughs> um, they're motivated, and we know that we're going not you know not in the first few hours, but in the first few days, we want to accomplish family reunification. So one part of this flotilla is essential staff. And the other part of the flotilla is family reunification. And I have a co-lead in the Bainbridge Prepares, um, Stuart, who's been really active getting more, more boats, more crew, more planning on the side of the um, getting families reunified okay. in the, you know, three or four days into the event, which we'll practice this year. 2022 is the Cascadia Rising. At the subduction earthquake exercise, really been scaled down, but now local jurisdictions can do whatever you want. So you're evidently going to. Yeah, we're going to get on the water. Uh, not, we'll see how many vessels we actually run, but we we like testing the waters and mainly with the radios, testing the radios during an event during a drill. Okay. So what types of boats are involved in this volunteering? You talk about matching the mission with the boat or boat owners. So, so what types of watercraft are there? Well, at the very early stages, it might be damage assessment. And it's not necessary that I have a 50-foot trawler to do damage assessment. I could send a canoe. 
or a kayaker. It's just getting eyes where where possibly people can't get there and they need to see some part of the island. Or even uh, when we had a landslide, we had a section of houses that were isolated, but they were not in danger, but we could deliver something to them with a small boat, a rowboat even. For, so I don't turn away small boats. I can also use small boats to shuttle small groups of two to a larger boat for a, for a trip across. So okay. that's when I talk about matching the vessel. Um, yeah, matching to what the EOC asks me to accomplish. Yeah, yeah you know, we never have said uh, Bainbridge Island is in the Puget Sound region. Puget Sound is not directly on the, it's saltwater, but it's not directly on the Washington coast. It's Puget Sound is a large body of water, very deep in many places. Um, and it has major shipping on it going to uh, the various ports in the region. So it is salt water there. And so you know, what... I would argue that anywhere there's a bridge, so yeah. that could be you know, 200 miles inland. But if you've got a bridge that is the bridge that everyone's using, no, no harm in having a flotilla plan for crossing that body of water either. Okay. How, how did you come up with the, the name flotilla? Because that is your official name you could have said Ooh, the bremerton navy question, or i don't well yeah i don't remember uh we do our our auxiliary our coast guard auxiliary members they also use the term flotilla okay and for cruisers when they all take vacation together they call it a flotilla okay so it's right. a good catch-all for a team you know it's our team i've i've had motorcycles not boats so <laughs> ah there you go so yeah just a, a gathering of of vessels okay all right yeah but i did uh, well i don't know something. i guess a gaggle <laughs> you could have called uh, a pod right. i suppose the bainbridge gaggle um we did steal i i did steal the idea of remember in the boat lift movie they took a spray paint can and they wrote on a sheet where they were going because there was such mayhem. Well, we've done that, but we've we've done it using signal flags. So I took the Bravo flag and the India flag. Those are letters in our nautical flag. And Bravo India means this boat is going to Bainbridge Island. Okay. Yeah, it's the old yeah. semaphore, right? Exactly. All right. Okay. Very cool. Um so I with social media today, you can expect people with boats will self-organize. I mean, you, you've got this team, sounds like scores, if not hundreds of people, volunteers of all types, but you'll have these, uh, we call them emergent volunteers that just show up and want to also come to the aid. So what plans do you have for these boats or boat owners when they show up and they've not been part of the organization before this. And I, I still talk to boaters that are, have known me for 20 years and have said, you know, I really don't want to fill out any paperwork, but you know, you can call on me. Yeah, I, right. And I say, you know, I can't. So um, that's great. Your boat, I know you have the perfect boat and you've got all the skills, but I won't be able to ask you to help me. When I, 
when I sell it to them, what I'm selling the idea is that they're going to have vulnerable populations on their vessel. And I'm trying to protect those vulnerable populations from getting on a vessel that doesn't have the skills or it's not a vessel that's appropriate. I also have boat owners. Vessels are very expensive yep. and they've worked a lot to maintain them. And they're going to be bringing on strangers with, without any vetting from me. So I'm protecting both groups if they'll let me be part of their plan. And if that doesn't work, it, I still wouldn't. Again, boaters will always help an individual on the water. And this is just one more step. They're helping individuals from one landmass to another. So what yeah. what what will you tell the boaters that show up? Guy shows up, say, "Hey, I've got five boats here, different sizes, capabilities. We want to help. Uh, what can we do?" So what will you tell them when they? Well, we have a process. We have a process for onboarding volunteers that's constant, and we can try to onboard volunteers. Right while an event is happening um but, it's a little cumbersome but it's doable yeah so you try and register them, uh, as emergency right, workers right. Right, right is our term um okay all right um you know that I, I i don't know how you cover this but i mentioned puget sound it's large very deep water there's ocean going ships um, might not be going immediately after an earthquake. I, I know they're not coming in. <laughs> they may be trying to depart afterwards, but there'll be debris in the water. Um, we, depending on the type of earthquake, a Cascadia, and certainly that Seattle Fault we mentioned would have a tsunami, inland water tsunami on Puget Sound waterway. So we can expect a lot of uh, debris in that. So what considerations have you made for that uh, you tell people you don't move until we know it's safe or how do you determine it's safe that type of thing yeah and, and the boat owner the prudent boat owner already knows that they there is a note if you wouldn't take your boat out anyway you're not going to go out to do any volunteer work for for, for me either so well, you know, we'll get winter storms where we'll have a huge amount of woody debris on the sound. And we have methods of, and we always have a lookout. So they would do what they would do if they were vacationing with their family as far as having their boat safe, having a lookout, not going if weather or debris prevented it. These are volunteers. And so we're not, you know, they're not doing a 911 rescue of a life or death situation they're doing um can you help this family rejoin can you help a, a, a member of our department get to work and and there is no pressure so a volunteer that signs on to something like this is only going to take on an activity that's well within their comfort training ability uh, the other part is that we're, you know, we've been training people when they go to their morning commute off island, they're supposed to be ready to shelter in place at work for a couple of days. So we're not doing this like in the first five hours. We're doing this 
in the first five days. Okay. It's been time for radio communication. And, you know, our plan may be that that boat trip is going to happen the next day in daylight hours as safely as possible. Right, right. You know, I, I, I have, a, well, it's a former fire chief of, of the city where I live, Puyallup, and he's got a 65-foot boat that's probably, I don't know, uh, might be 40 years old, wooden hulled, but it's in great shape from that. But uh, when we've been out on Puget Sound, I asked him, we're just cruising down the mill on a sunny day in August. Um, I said, well, you know, what do you look for? He said, I'm looking for logs. <laughs> yep, that's right. <laughs> He's looking for logs because you don't want to hit a log going at 15 knots uh, type of thing. can really do damage to boats. And uh, what what do you think is the most expensive boat in your flotilla that's registered? How much do you think it costs? Oh gosh, I don't. I am always the worst. I would lose this as a as a guessing game at the boat show. Uh, there, I don't. I can't even guess. Sorry, Eric. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Yeah, you know, these. Over a, uh, yeah, certainly five hundred thousand, even a million. million. Yeah, yep, a million yep. dollars. Five hundred thousand for sure. Yep. Yeah. But they could easily climb over a million. Yeah, I still want to go to the boat show to look at boats, but I'm not buying one. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, so any final thoughts you'd like to share with our listening audience about the capabilities, um, maybe what's next coming up or what, what whatever well, what your I, final thoughts are. Yeah, um, this, this past year has been... Uh, I'm just so grateful because now what we've got is a, a citizen in the Bainbridge Prepare side that is as motivated and fired up as I am. So we have that marriage. I think anybody out there in their community thinking the same thing about, you know, we've got this one bridge or we've got this one road in and out of town, but we could have a water route if we just knew how to make it happen. To start making it happen. I think the the will and the interest is there. And it does not have to happen at a state level. It happens on a street by street, dock by dock, uh, having the boats ready, seaworthy, and get your ham licensed. We we learned that BHF world can't talk to the land world until they get that leak. So if you're a boater, get your VHF. Uh, I'm sorry, if you're a boater, get your ham. And if you're a ham, start, start talking to your boaters because you might be able to do a lot um, just now. Yeah, you might be the radio operator on a boat. Yes, exactly. Right. And actually, um, it just started running um, yesterday is a, uh, it's a the Disaster Zone podcast on amateur radio. For people listening here to this, go look for... Uh, an ACS amateur radio uh, show on this Disaster Zone podcast. You'll learn all about the amateur radio side. I encourage you, Tammy, to, it's available now, listen to it. Maybe it's a good way to share with the general people want to know more about that world, so. Sounds good. Okay. Right. Well, this has been terrific, Tammy. I just commend you for everything you're doing. And uh, now I know what a flotilla is and a harbor master. <laughs> So I've certainly right. 
learned something uh, from this. I just want to say thank you for being a guest here on the Disaster Zone podcast. Thank you, Eric. It's been a blast. All right. And I always like to say that the, the real first responders are these citizen volunteers, voters with special capabilities who are either um, already organized or potentially become emergent. And in the case of Bainbridge Island, you're going to have to get registered before you're being used. And uh, we, today we learned about how one such team has those unique boating capabilities and are ready to come to the forefront. So uh, lastly, a reminder to everyone to be safe. Think about what you can do today to become personally prepared for the next disaster. And if you like this Disaster Zone podcast, please share a link to it with your social media contacts. And that means you boaters out there. So thanks for listening and bye-bye. Tune in again soon for more information on all aspects of disasters. You can also check out the Disaster Zone blog at www.disaster-zone.com.